Hi, and welcome back to our fourth episode in our podcast series on psychotherapy from the grassroots level. Now, before I begin, I'd like to answer one of the emails that was sent to me about the last episode, the last podcast. Um, And the question was, what was the sound in the background? Well, there was two. One is water. Uh, There's a little fountain or water feature directly in front of me because I was in my clinic and it gives an element of calmness to the room. The clicks are where I needed to stop the recording um, for either the fact that I was coughing or I needed to refill my cup of tea and more the latter. So now that that's out of the way, uh, let's get back to the theme of the inner child. In this week's session, I'd like to look at steps that you can take to connect in with that inner child. Now, the list is long and almost endless, but I'm only going to take a few of them to give you just a few ideas. And again, I have to point out that in the beginning, it is preferable. And from my perspective as a therapist, I would find it a necessity that this journey is done with somebody like a therapist Uh, Because we need the support that the therapist can offer to encourage us to keep going and to be able to help us without whatever issues that can come up. The following I've given, they don't need a therapist. They can be done by, by an individual on their own. But I would suggest to be very conscious that certain feelings may arise. So the first one is... Start to accept that you actually have an inner child. Begin to say hi or hello to him or her. Remove the words shouldn't, can't or impossible from your vocabulary. And allow yourself to dream a little bit more. Anything other than these, in my opinion, need to be done with the therapist. And I can hear the question, why? Because when we deal with a wounded inner child we need to be able to sit with listen and not judge that inner child not to reject or abandon it certainly not to dismiss it if we do we just continue what was already done at that physical age a lot of people who open up to the wounded inner child realize that they will actually sabotage their time with that inner child if we begin to say sit with them All of a sudden we think of what we could be doing and what we should be doing and we get distracted. Some don't want to connect with what they find when the inner child does start to speak because he or she may remind you of why she was wounded or he was wounded in the first place. And some get so frightened of this that they go deeper into themselves. So it is a must that connecting with the inner child is done with the therapist, but only until we feel we have a handle on it and that we can continue ourselves. Now, to help you connect, there are also a few things that you can do, like dance. Go find a class to join, especially if you enjoyed dancing as a child. Artwork. Rediscover a way to express the inner child and and what the child was thinking through clay, through watercolours, through craft. And of course, you can do nature. Take a ramble through your childhood play area, if possible. Or just take a walk into nature itself, into a park or forest, or even to the sea. 
Whatever reminds you of your childhood. And you might even try blowing bubbles. How about physical exercise? Go find a swing and sit on it. Climb a tree or climbing frame, if you're able to. Buy an ice cream that you loved as a child, if it still is, exists. How about doing some affirmations? When you get up in the morning, look at the image that reflects back from the mirror. Look into the eyes of your reflection and tell yourself, I'm a nice person. I love my inner child. I'm safe and loved. I have the freedom to be who I want to be. Now, the reason I'm not going into the process at any deep level is because people can be triggered, especially when they're doing inner child work. And it can be, you can be triggered into a bad memory or a flashback. And if you don't have the support around you, it can do more harm than good. So I'm just giving you the basics and what you can try on your own. Now, of course, there's a good reason why we have an inner child in the first place. And that is because as a child, we were, in our perception, hurt, rejected or abandoned. And we've spent years covering it up, avoiding it and trying to forget it by pushing it back into the deepest recess of our minds. So how could we now as adults suddenly switch into acceptance, compassion and love without help? Sorry, but it's not really possible. We can get so far on our own. But it's like what I said, um, I can't remember which podcast it was. It's like a diet. We start off with such good intentions. But after a while, it falls away for various reasons. And then we get angry with ourselves for failing. And what use is that? So what do we do? We start to avoid it again. So now here's the next question. If I get to the point of actually connecting with my child and learning all about him or her and looking at why they were wounded in the first place, what do I do then? How can I reparent that part of me? And of course you can't reparent until you get in touch with the child. So okay, so here I'll give you a couple of possibilities rather than the process. As the process depends on what you discover when you befriend your inner child. First, let's take a look at understanding what reparenting is about. So our childhood is where we are formed and where our subconscious mind is formed. It is where we begin our learning of how to process our emotions, how to hold and develop boundaries, habits and relationships. Now, in an ideal world, our parents are the significant adult in our life are self-actualized people who would encourage us to be a well-balanced individual. However, our world is not ideal and we live in a culture that doesn't encourage conscious awareness and the vast majority of us were born into unconscious parents or guardians who repeat the same behaviours and habits that they have learned. They are often operating from a wounded place because of their own experiences as children. I've worked with people who have wanted to get help around communication in relationships, destructive habits and behaviours, those who have addictions, who sabotage their own lives, who have a crisis of identity and some have feelings of having no confidence in themselves 
Now, although each of these have manifested differently, I believe that they are all connected in very one important way. They are all conditioned or learnt behaviour from our childhood. Now, I hear you say, why do I need to go back that far into my childhood when I'm an adult? The other statement is, is that I hear is, well, if that's where I learned my behaviour, then I'm screwed. When it comes to connecting with our childhood experiences, we can often get very protective and defensive. However, it is necessary to remind ourselves so that we can choose to change our habits and behaviours as adults, regardless of what we experience as children. And this is what we call reparenting. Now, it's not about blaming our parents or the significant adults in our lives. In fact, it is not about who they were as people or how much they might have loved us. But they did the best that they could with the knowledge and understanding of their own self-awareness at that time. I have to point out here that I am not talking about adults in our lives that deliberately harm or injure us. That is a completely different scenario and needs another form of understanding. What I'm reflecting on and referring to is a non-deliberate destroying within the family unit when we were children. Whether that family was single parent unit, two parents, adoption, foster or whatever way your family unit was built. But those who played a significant role in our lives as children. Now, reparenting is our own personal responsibility. It's not up to anybody else to reparent us. We can all begin the process, but it takes time, commitment and patience with ourselves. We don't and can't heal overnight. When we spend years avoiding and hiding from ourselves, it requires us to be present to ourselves every single day. Now, there are several different supports when reparenting but not all necessary in the same order. So you have discipline, joy, emotional regulation and self-care. And depending on your childhood experiences, one or more of these will be more difficult than others. For example, you might find that discipline is more difficult, especially if your childhood experiences was that your household was strict. Certain rules had to be followed. Do what you're told when you're told or you had no rules to follow at all, no guidelines. Do what you want, I don't care. So we end up either finding discipline quite difficult, or we can actually have a mental resistance to it. Now, many individuals didn't have many chances to develop, and especially around joyous, the joy side of life. Sometimes we may have been in a place where chaos reigned, or where the adults in our life were in a flight or fight mode and therefore could not enjoy life itself, which was then passed on to us. And some adults who didn't have the interests or hobbies in their life, they lived in a state of money and work, had to be doing things, had to be always on the go, with little or no time for experiencing joy. They may even have been distant to us. This would have been handed on, so we end up not knowing what our own interests or passions are. And we don't even question it until we start to look and ask ourselves, 
What do I like doing? What is my passion? And we normally ask that in adulthood. So we developed a sense of disconnection with ourself and our social structure. So we need human connection. I mean, we are social beings. We need the human connection to help us heal. Without it, we can live a very involuntary, isolated life, even when we're in a group. Emotional regulation is where we learn to separate our head from our heart. The head thinks, the heart feels. Now, if we've had a childhood that has been emotionally starved, then as adults, we have not learned how to separate the head from the heart. And if this is the case, then we go on to again being or getting frustrated because we feel one thing, but our head dismisses it. And this may ensure that we make a decision from a thought pattern. And therefore, again, like joy, we have isolated a part of us that, in essence, we need. Because we need it to make an informed decision. So we need to be more present to ourselves as adults. Being more, I suppose, observant to ourselves. And this can be done simply by just sitting with ourselves. Initially, for a boundary time, say, for example, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. Learning to breathe properly can and does help us to slow down and connect with our inner selves and not be entirely living from our heads. Of course, self-care speaks for itself. If we don't get enough sleep, our bodies end up being tired. Now, this can lead to burnout and inevitably illness. The reason sometimes we don't self-care is again because we haven't been shown it. We haven't been allowed to get a good night's sleep. We've been allowed to stay up at night on a school night leading to tiredness and not being able to focus or concentrate. Then again, not having a proper diet as children, like being given snacks that were not healthy and that weren't, mightn't even be nutritional. Again, leads to possible food issues and lack of necessary vitamins and minerals in our bodies in order for the system to keep functioning, to help us focus and to concentrate. Not having time to play as children because of strict issues around homework and or chores. Oh, you need to do this. Stops us from connecting with that nature that would enable us to find the joy we spoke about earlier. So going for a walk in nature can and is very healing because we reconnect with that inner need to play and be joyful. Now, what I'd like to point out here yet again is that The reason we're not giving these tools when we were children was because our parents or guardians or the significant adults in our life were incapable of doing so because of their own parenting experiences as children. So now as adults, if I don't give, decided not to give these things to ourselves first and foremost, then we cannot offer them to our children. And so the cycle continues and sometimes history repeats itself. Now that that has all been said, I'm going to give you a few things that might help you to begin a process of understanding the need for reparenting. One of them is learn to breathe because life can become overwhelming for us and we need to learn to breathe properly so that we can slow down our bodies and especially our heads in order that we have more control of our thoughts and feelings. 
Make a positive promise to yourself and for yourself daily. And then stick to it for a period of time, say for a week or a month. So in the morning, say, I promise to. Then you can have walk a mile, have a bath and go straight to bed, not do work-related stuff after 6pm, have a meal with my family daily, sit and think of nothing for 15 minutes, wake up early, go to bed at 10.30 and sleep. Of course, you must choose something that's more likely to be achieved. Not much point in promising to do something, like go to the gym for an hour a day. If the nearest gym is miles away and takes you half an hour to get there and you've never done it before, there's no point in that. Start with small achievements. Or promising yourself to be home by 5.30 when you only leave work at 5 and it takes three quarters of an hour to get home. And especially if you have to get a bus or a train. So choose something that is reachable. Don't sabotage yourself. Because that's what we call sabotaging the process. Because somewhere deep within us, your inner child is afraid. Work with somebody once a week so that you can have support. Now, this must be outside of your family who may see you blame or your problem on your parents or significant adults. And this can cause untold tension between family members because it's their perception. And remember, although you might have grown up with your siblings, they may have a completely different perception of your childhood than you do. It also allows another person to be a witness to your celebration, to the celebrating of who you are today, of recognising yourself. I hope that this has been some help to people. Now, what I'm going to continue uh, with is along the same lines, but in a little bit more detail. I want to look at the different types of abuse and how they can affect us in our adult life. So what is abuse? Well, according to most dictionaries, it is described as a threat, cruelty or violence regularly repeated. Now, my own belief is that in a lot of cases, it's not a threat. Another description I read recently is more what I would consider um, a definition, or at least an understanding. And it goes, it's a pattern of behaviour used by one person to gain and maintain power and control over another. Now, what I am looking at is it's about a pattern of behaviour. It's not just a one-off incident. And these behaviours can take on a, a number of different forms. For many people, when they hear the word abuse, they automatically think of physical or sexual. It's important to note that, that physical force is only one means of power and control, but it is far from the only one. But it is often the first one that an abuser will use. But I'm going to give you a, a few more that will kind of go through. So let's take a look at a couple of them. For instance, if we take the physical, um, this is a type of abuse that many think of when they hear the word abuse. And it can include punching, hitting, slapping, kicking, strangling, or physically restraining somebody against their will. It can also um, include driving recklessly or invading somebody's physical space. 
and in any other way that makes people feel physically unsafe. Now, some of the indicators um, of physical abuse, which most of us will know, is one of them being a history of unexplained falls um, or unexplained bruising in well-protected areas of the body. Bruising in different stages of healing. Unexplained burns, unexplained fractures, unexplained lacerations or abrasions. A slap, a kick, a punch or finger marks, untreated medical problems, weight loss, even weight gain. Now these are just a couple. And while sexual abuse can be a form of physical abuse, we normally put it in a category by itself because it can include both physical and non-physical elements. It can involve rape or other forced sexual acts, or withholding or using sex as a weapon. An abusive partner might also use sex as a means to judge their partner and put a value on it. In other words, criticising or saying somebody isn't good enough at sex, or that sex is the only thing they're good for. And because sex can be loaded with emotional and cultural implications, there are so many ways that the feelings around it can be uniquely used for power and control. Actually, in America, it wasn't until um, 1993 that uh, marital rape was um, illegal. And some people still assume that sex is something a partner is entitled to. But it's not recognised as a larger pattern of power and control. So what are the, the indicators of sexual abuse? A sudden change of behaviour. A sudden onset of confusion, incontinence, withdrawal overly or overtly sexual behaviour and language, self-inflicted injury, disturbed sleep pattern or poor concentration, difficulty in walking, torn or strained underwear, pain or itching, bruising or bleeding in the genital area. Obviously the, the other one is the STDs, you know, or constant urinary uh, infections, bruising to the upper thighs or arms, People can have severe um, upset or agitation when they're having a bath. What about verbal or emotional abuse? This is normally shown by belittling somebody or rejecting or ridiculing them or blaming them or scapegoating them or just bullying. They can be terrorised and threatened with violence or fearful conditions. They can be isolated, confined, restricted. One survivor, um, she has a lovely way of putting it. She said, my ex-husband used words like weapons, like shards of glass, cutting and slowly draining my life until I had nearly nothing left. She didn't think she was, she was being abused because he didn't hit, not usually. She'd begun to believe his, the lies that he spoke, how worthless she was, how stupid and how ugly she was, and that how nobody would ever want her. Other survivors have pointed out that while the signs of physical abuse might be noticeable to a friend or family member, the effects of verbal and emotional abuse are harder to spot and harder to prove. Because emotional scars are often 
or have often and do often take longer to heal. The last one I'd like to look at is the mental and psychological. Mental and psychological abuse happens when one person, through a series of actions or words, wears away at, at the other person's sense of mental well-being or health. And it often involves making the victim doubt their own sanity. Now, we've heard stories of abusers deliberately moving car keys or a purse or dimming the lights or flat out denying that certain things had taken place. Now, the result of this, especially over a sustained period of time, and often with the isolation that abusers also tend to use, is that the victim depends on the abuser more and more because they don't trust their own judgment. They've started to doubt themselves. They also hesitate to tell anybody about the, the abuse they're experiencing for fear they won't be believed. One of a uh, survivor that I heard recently said that he called me crazy so many times I was unsure if anyone would ever believe me about what was going on because I thought I was crazy. So what are the potential indicators of psychological abuse? Fearfulness, avoiding eye contact, flinching um, if somebody approaches them, insomnia, the need for excessive sleep, a change in appetite, tearfulness, unexplained paranoia, isolation with no visitors or phone calls allowed, inappropriate clothing, restricted access to hygiene facilities, but most importantly a lack of personal respect. Now of course there are other ones like financial and economic and cultural identity, um, but I won't go into those today because I want to go into the others a little bit more, uh, but I'll do that in the next podcast. I just wanted to give you uh, an idea of where we were going. Now, I've given you the explanations from an adult point of view. In the next podcast, I'll go through them from a child point of view and what happens to a child and how they can disassociate through all of this. But I, I'll go into that a little bit deeper um, at the next podcast. So thank you very much for joining me again and thank you very much for all your comments. Really appreciate them. Have a wonderful week and I shall talk to you next week. Namaste.